my name's Lezek, and I will be talking to Santosh Hari about opportunities for personal and professional growth at Microsoft and the future trajectory of AI innovations within the company. First of all, uh, Santosh, thank you for finding time to speak with me. I'm, I'm really glad to have you on the show. Um, I'd like to start with uh, Microsoft and Microsoft culture. I don't know. I know that Microsoft is a region's strong corporate culture, and I like to ask you to describe what it's like and how does it manifest in, say, the day-to-day operations, especially in the engineering teams. That's an excellent question. Um, so, you know, uh, the uh, I joined Microsoft about uh, three years back, about three and a half. Uh, but uh, if you kind of played back, um, if um, you know, talk about what's going on, three and a half years back, COVID was starting. So, you know, that's my, uh, I guess my time for joining Microsoft was very coincidental with COVID. In fact, I was one of the first people onboarded remotely uh, as part of the COVID uh, era. So, you know, from the very beginning, you could tell that, you know, if you, even if you go back and look at the news stories back from 2020, March, and uh, such timeline, you can see that, you know, Microsoft was one of the first companies to go remote. And, uh, you know, they um, kind of knew you know, what was coming and planned well for that and tried to make sure that they adjusted um, the employees' working situation and uh, arrangements accordingly. So, uh, you know, right from the beginning, I kind of got a taste of what I know, Microsoft and, you know, how their culture was very impactful and how they uh, always... You know, employees in uh, at, the, at the forefront of everything. You know, so uh, so in terms of you know, uh, like just if you go back and look at uh, you know Microsoft's culture, uh, like our different uh, uh, impacts in the arena. You know, they have been very um, uh, they have been at the forefront of things like uh, diversity and inclusion, and um, you know we have a lot of employee resource groups or ERGs as you call them that uh, actually uh, focus a lot on you know different types of uh, you know DNI groups like you know you have families you have uh, LGBTQ blacks uh, at Microsoft and uh, you know there's uh, women in tech at Microsoft so there's like a whole uh, plethora of DNA efforts you can get involved at. So that's that's one thing I really appreciate about Microsoft. The uh, the other issue, uh, the other um, I guess area that you can really uh, see Microsoft's impact is also you'll often see Facebook posts. You know, someone will post that, hey, you know, I took uh, so much time off when my uh, baby was born, and this could be you know, either parent of the baby. So, you know, that's that's one thing that has been really, um, even though I don't have kids, I really appreciate that. You know, I know Microsoft does that for new parents, allows them to, uh, you know, give uh, gives them time to bond with their kids. You can see it in 
day-to-day operations. So it's one of those uh, things which is kind of, you know, it's kind of underappreciated. Like if if you say you're on vacation, you don't have like people incessantly pinging you and asking you questions. Uh, 99% of the time people respect that you're on vacation. Uh, they, they see a uh, uh, vacation away notification and leave you alone despite how um, important the matter is. And that also goes back to, you know, like if I'm going on vacation, I make sure that I have enough backups or someone has, is aware of, you know, what situation I'm leaving the project or my work in so that they can kind of uh, fill in for me. So it's a lot of things that go in that really make it a great place to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, speaking of great place to work, I'd like to ask you about for an overview of how engineering teams are structured specifically or with a particular focus on Azure teams. Okay. So that's a great question. So, uh, you know, that's uh, in in full transparency. I just joined uh, Microsoft's, uh, you know, uh, engineering uh, side of operations. Previously, I used to be in the consulting side of Microsoft. So it's, in fact, it's been like two or three weeks. So it, I'm still learning, but I can kind of give you some ideas of how uh, things are from what I'm seeing. Um, so, you know, um, Microsoft has this very hierarchical culture uh, or um, organization. You know, you have like, uh, you know, Satya and then you have Scott Guthrie and yeah, don't. Then you have like different corporate VPs under Scott Guthrie and uh, so on. So the way you can look at the organization is there are two sets of people. Uh, there are the managers and then there are the individual contributors. So the way um, you can kind of term this is, you know, if you see someone with a title like program manager, or software engineer, uh, those are often individual contributors. And uh, if you see someone like, you know, software engineering manager, that is called uh, manager. So the difference is not that managers are, you know, superior or inferior to engineers. It's just that they are people managers versus individual contributors are more focused on the, the core um so the core area of work. So, for instance, software engineer would be more focused on the software engineering aspect, but a software engineering manager, on top of being a well-versed in software engineering, would also manage a group of software engineers. So hopefully that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that, the way you can uh, see the ladder go up is, you know, you have the individual contributors, and then you have... The first level of managers, M1s as you call them, and then they have, uh, you know, different uh, like multiple managers have a single manager, so that's M2, and so on. It goes up to corporate VP and um, uh, uh-huh. you know, executive VP and Satya. So that's kind of the structure in a nutshell. The other thing you will hear occasionally is, you know, levels. So you know, someone come, coming in might be like a level 58, and I don't know, like, you know, how they came up with these levels, but, you know, and then you'll hear often hear that, you know, people are, oh, I'm level 64, 65, 
So 64 to 65 is when someone goes from senior to principal. And then I think 62 to 63 is from, you know, software engineer to senior software engineer and so on. So are there paths? Uh, let's, I, I want to ask you about this, um, the basically career paths. Mm -hmm. uh, do you ha can you be an engineer or an individual contributor forever, or eventually you have to step up to a manager role? Uh, is there a point where you have to decide, or is it just an is just there's just one path? How do you guys handle this? That's an excellent uh, question again. So one thing I will say is you know let's kind of uh, you know it would help to reframe. Uh, the thinking in that uh, w when you go from uh, an engineer to manager, that is a transition. Let's not call it a step up or step down. So yeah. It's just a transition from one career path to another. So, you know, you have obviously the individual contributor career path, then you have the manager career path. And in fact, I would say that, you know, Microsoft being a tech company that's almost 50 years old now. So, you know, they, mm. uh, they have kind of sorted out how technologists work and they, you know, um, realize that you may have a engineer who does not want to manage people. And that's, you know, I have managed people. I don't manage people currently. So I've seen both sides of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they may realize that they, they do realize that there are people who do not want to do it and they have career paths for those. So you'll often see, you know, people go principal, uh, you know, software engineer, and then, you know, they become like, you know, technical fellows and such. So mm -hmm. there's often, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can, I have seen people who stay, you know, on the technical side their entire lives and retire as such. So to answer your question, yes, if you decide to stay technical, you can. Uh, if you want to go into management, which is also, you know, a very, from what I've heard uh, at Microsoft, it's a very rewarding path. It's a different type of challenge in that, you know, you have to deal with people and their career and expectations and their performances and so on. So that's another path you could take. And, uh, you know, that's a whole, and that opens up, you know, different um, venues for you. So uh, this, you know, people do different things. There's no right or wrong uh, path. You know, it just depends on, you know, people try different things and someone may go from individual contributor to manager and after a year they may decide, I, um, I prefer the individual contributor path and they may decide to switch back. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, each, everyone does what works best for them. Mm -hmm. It's most, uh, and you know, uh, uh, if they work uh, with the manager, uh, they're they're well supported in whatever decisions they make. Sure. Uh, I've got uh, another question that is really interesting for me. Uh, that's related to the personal or professional growth, mm -hmm. and I know Microsoft is known for investing in its employees' growth. Mm -hmm. And my question here is how does Microsoft actually support personal and professional 
development. Uh, what's can you somehow give us an overview how the system of personal and professional growth works at Microsoft? Sure. I mean, uh, I'll start with the personal part. So in the in the personal part, you have to you know uh, want to do things like you know uh, work on your physical health, mental health, and uh, other items. And so you know. Well, Microsoft does offer different benefits that allow you to avail of uh, opportunities to uh, improve your physical and mental health, and uh, they, uh, you know, the different things called you know perks plus and other benefits that give a certain amount of money dedicated towards that. Um, you know, there are also um, mental health days uh, through the year, so someone can call in one day and say, "Hey, you know, I'm not." Feeling up to it, you may not be like feeling sick, but you may just be exhausted from you know the week of work, or you may have worked uh, you know on a project and you may want to take a day or two off, and so you know that's something that people can certainly do. Um, the other thing is, you know, recently uh, there was the uh, you know you probably saw it in the news, like uh, the uh, Microsoft came up with a discretionary time off, which means you mm -hmm. can, um, people call it unlimited leave. It's really, uh, that's not how I would frame it. It's more, you know, there's no, or there's no uh, like real formal account keeping. It's just, uh, you work with your manager and, uh, you know, take time off as and when needed. And as you know, you just work it out around whatever your work commitments are. So that's that's certainly something you could do. So you know, there's a lot of flexibility that offers a lot of flexibility, especially if you plan it well. Um, and in the, in the professional side, you know, there's different, uh, um, you know, opportunities for mentorship. So I can go talk to uh, someone who's much more senior and, uh, you know, I can just reach out and talk to them. That's very much encourage talking to different people, learning about their roles, you know, learning about their career paths, getting advice. So, you know, at least talk to like, you know, four to five folks a month that are completely different from my organization, uh, from my role. So, you know, just even if I have zero interest in what the organizational role is doing, it always helps to make connections and talk to them. So that is something that you could do on your own, but it's also very much encouraged. And in terms of professional growth, you know, there's plenty of, uh, you know, you probably heard that thing uh, from Satya where it talks about don't be a know-it-all, be a learn-it-all. So <laughs> out of opportunities to learn. So, you know, this, uh, um, you know, that, I would say that there's so much learning material that you know one person, if they learned, started learning full-time, uh, the current library of learning that uh, we have, they would not be able to complete it in their lifetime. So that, you know, there's uh, certainly uh, enough uh, material to learn. You know, certification exams are free. If someone wanted to go back to school, which, and then and, you know, I'm mostly talking about the U.S., side of operations, right? I don't know how it is outside of US, but in the US, if someone wanted to go back to school slash university, they can do that. And, you know, like if I decided tomorrow, hey, I know I want to go get my MBA, 
I can I can do that. They would pay a certain amount of uh, fees per year. So there's there's no shortage of things. Uh, I would say the biggest uh, restriction is time. So yeah, uh, that's the. But if you can figure that human out. condition, <laughs> that's the, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. And how? Um, What's it like inside? I, I know Microsoft is ripping right now in terms of progress, in terms of the new initiative, in terms of specifically AI. It's really a pleasure to watch the success of the company from from the outside. Also, even and that's even observable on the stock market. I think uh, it seems that Microsoft is, a, is is really in a great space right now. And uh, I want to ask you if it's, it, do you actually, uh, what's it like inside? Do you actually the, uh, feel that you're on the wave and uh, things are really progressing at um, amazing pace right now, uh, as you observe it from within the organization? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, everyone is aware that, you know, Chat GPT hit um, end of towards the end of last year um, or end of 2022, and it's been kind of like the biggest talking point since then. And uh, you know, and then we just we you know we kind of knew this, but then it it became more and more apparent that Microsoft was deeply involved with OpenAI, and you know, so you you will see that you know over the past uh nine months ten months most of the products have had some kind of ai aspect to it and you know that is definitely the um this the uh definitely the more uh i'm, I'm sorry i'm drawing <laughs> drawing a blanket but um, there's definitely the uh you know feeling of ex- excitement and that you know you you're working on something and you you want to figure out how you can make this better, but you know there's also uh, you know the saying that comes in Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. So mm-hmm. just thinking of you know how to uh, be responsible about how you incorporate AI into uh, the products. So definitely you know you know this. There's both sides, right? There's the excitement, and then there's the feeling of uh, responsibility that comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from you know everything I see, people are very excited. Uh, like you know, the other day I um, gave a talk on the semantic kernel with OpenAI at a conference, and even the community, you know, the room was packed. You know, people are asking all kinds of questions. And you know there are no bad questions, right? So people you need to uh, learn, um, ask the tough questions, and you know learn more about it. So you know not just within Microsoft, but with the, I see like you know great excitement within the community. You know people, uh, you know Scott Hanselman used to call you know a set of people dark matter developers who would never show up to meetups or conferences, but would still. Uh, be uh, existing in the space and you know they wanted to just get their work done and you know it's it's okay to be that but even the dark matter developers are starting to um, you know become 
warm up to AI and figure out how to use it. Having said that, I, I, I would say that um, you know you do you do want to see how you can benefit uh, the, you know your customers, your community, and everyone else. But you you do want to be responsible doing that. Mm-hmm. Of, of course. Speaking of which, uh, uh, you spoke at Atlanta Developers Conference, which which, which you mentioned, and uh, you spoke about my understanding is that you covered on the semantic kernel. Mm-hmm. And uh, could you give us a brief overview of the topics that you uh, covered uh, during the conference? Um, some takeaways, because you, you there are no public recordings, as far as I know, from yeah, yeah, uh, but, from that from that yeah. <laughs> presentation. Yeah, so some of the uh, I do have a YouTube video on semantic kernel that I gave to a .NET group, so I'll be happy to provide you with the link to that if you want to. Oh, uh, cool. We'll put it in the um, um, in the description. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I'll be happy to share that. But uh, basically, you know, semantic kernel is like a lightweight SDK, and uh, uh, it is uh, I would, what I would say. It's kind of like you know how you think about the Linux kernel. You know, it's basically uh, come. It is something that brings together a bunch of programs and processes and connectors. So you know, that's how you have Linux. So similarly, you have semantic kernel that brings together a bunch of uh, programs and connections and uh, uh, libraries and uh, enables users to add AI to applications. So you can do it's and uh, to people who are not familiar with semantic kernel but are familiar with the AI world in general, this is similar to LangChain. So it's where uh, it's it's kind of you know a complementary slash competitor to LangChain. And uh, it's more. Uh, it started out being more geared towards uh, C sharp and .NET developers, but you also have like uh, Python and Java that's now supported. And uh, basically, you have this uh, kernel, for lack of a better word, that takes an input, and you, you know it has something called a planner. So based on the input, it will go out and figure out you know what plugins it needs to fulfill that input, and uh, it comes with built-in plugins like math, time, uh, you know, conversation summary, and so on. But you can also connect it to something like OpenAI, um, um, Azure OpenAI, or uh, some of the Hugging Face models. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So you can do Hugging Face. And then, you know, you can also uh, do things like hook up memories with uh, vector databases, and so on, and uh, that way you can help uh, it satisfy whatever ask was sent into the system. So you know you may ask, uh, oh, you know, um, summarize this conversation, which is the easiest uh, one to do. And so at that point, I can say that, oh, you know, uh, just for summarization, I can use ChatGPT, but I really don't want to use something that heavy, so I may use a cheaper uh, LLM model like Ada, and I can, you know I can use that to summarize my conversation. So you can you can do you know you can instantiate the kernel with Ada, and it'll it'll automatically summarize whatever input you sent. And then you know like I said, you can also use use it to you know the most popular use case seems to be to use it with ChatGPT, uh, but you can also do things like. Oh, by the way, you know, I am going to 
okay. insert in the memory a list of books from my library, and then I'm going to ask it for recommendations. So instead of going out to the internet, now it actually takes the engine and point it towards the memory, and uh, you can help it summarize that data. So that kind of goes towards the use case of using custom data to, uh, you know, uh, your business-specific custom data and uh, unleashing your intelligence on that. So, you know, this is like a, and you can build um, your own custom skills. So I mean, decide that, uh, you know, I'm building a shopping cart and I want to build a skill that, uh, depending on my location, it will give me my local tax. So in the U.S., that's the concept of, you know, each county has its own uh, tax uh, local tax that it adds on top of the cost of the products. So you can you can have it do that for 3,000 counties or whatever amount of counties out there in the United States. So, um, so you know, you, it's it's very flexible. So it's you know, lightweight, flexible, and extremely easy to use. So the well, one of my demos was, you know, how to write ChatGPT in five lines of code, which was pretty... <laughs> I think when I did that, people were like, oh, that's awesome. Even I could do that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't do C-sharp development in my day-to-day job. And if, if I can do it, so can you. So that's that's kind of my selling point to people. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. And um, for folk, folks folks uh, that want to uh, learn more about it, uh, you can find it on GitHub under Semantic Kernel. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a little, yeah. If you go to Microsoft, I'm sorry to cut, cut sure, in, but yeah. if you go to Microsoft Learn documentation and semantic kernel, that's you know that's one place you can find it. Uh, obviously, you can find it on GitHub slash semantic hyphen kernel. Um, so that those are two places you can get started up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. <clears throat> um, okay. Uh, I'd like to get back to the this is to the topic of structuring engineering teams, uh-huh. and um, uh, I'd like to ask you about typical composition of the Azure engineering team. Is it uh-huh. cross-functional with members having diverse expertise, or these are just uh, people bonded together with some specific skill set, how does it work with uh, Azure engineering teams? Yeah, so the, again, you know, there's a very um, broad uh, scope for that question because, you know, there's no, uh, there's no like single quote-unquote Azure engineering team. You have like different products. Um, so... I would say a lot of engineering teams are bound by scopes. So some of them may be building like uh, you know, a certain part of the, if you, you can have you know, multiple teams and they could be building different parts of the product. And uh, you know that, that may be under a larger um, management slash org. So you, know, you have the data org and the data org can have uh, different products that come under uh, the data side of things. So for instance, you have Cosmos, right? Then Cosmos can have like, you know, uh, uh, they could, you know, they can have like, you know, SQL API, Mongo API, Cassandra API, 
And even under those, you have things like, you know, you have a set of uh, folks who simply handle things like a oh, Cosmos change feed. So that's, uh, so that could be its own separate team. Uh, you also have like, you know, different uh, certain teams that do things like, you know, uh, the front end. So the front end could be its own separate teams. So a lot of teams are actually bound by scope, but a useful framework to think about this is, you know, they kind of, you can kind of start at how you classify the, you know, products, you know, you have data products and data can have uh, different products and each can have its own separate little area. So that's, that's how I'd kind of classify it. And, uh, Again, uh, another useful framework to think about teams. The teams, as the previous structure I mentioned about, you know, how you have individual contributors with their managers, and they kind of roll up to, up the chain. So, if you kind of combine that, you can uh, you can start to figure out how most teams work. They are very cross-functional, uh, from my understanding. Um, uh, you know, they seem to uh, you, know, you have like you know someone who, like a technical program manager who handles a lot of the internal um, coordination, but you have product managers. So it's kind of, you know, you have the role of PM, but you have technical PM and you have product manager and uh, technical program manager will do a lot of internal facing, um, like coordination. Uh, the product manager will figure out what the customer wants and try to create um requirements based off of that and uh, planning based off of that and you know they all obviously coordinate and then you have the software engineers engineering manager you may also have to work with other teams like support so for instance if you're an engineer and you built a feature i believe that most engineers have a certain amount of time um you know it's limited but it's still you have to do this for most engineers is be re responsible for support calls. So, it, it, so you know, that's, uh, and this is because, you know, you, you built out a huge world-scale product and somewhere, somewhere is bound to have some issues. So it's, uh, it's there's a good possibility that most engineers at one point or another have been pulled into a support call to figure out what an issue was. And, mm -hmm. You know, on the support call, you may or may not be able to solve the issue by yourself. So, if you did not write the code, you may have to figure out, you know, who did and how to how to uh, move towards a resolution for this. Um, I am actually working on the customer experience uh, side of things, uh, which means it's a very customer-facing role. So that's that's another aspect of it, right? So it's not just engineers writing code; it's also people like me who. Uh, work directly with customers, and uh, you know we often take um, you know make make sure that the customer experience with the product is optimal. Provide feedback to the engineering teams. Um, sometimes, so, you know, certain on support calls and uh, uh, pull in um, you know engineering uh, help as needed. So there's uh, a lot of uh, you know moving bits and pieces. Sure. Uh, Sandesh, my final question for you is, um, given your immersion and the applied AI, open AI on Azure, uh, where do you see Microsoft heading in terms of AI innovations, if you can tell? 
uh, that too and share that with uh, our audience. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I do not have any, um, and you know, uh, uh, I am um, just a lowly engineer, so I don't have any uh, insight into what Microsoft's grand strategy is. But just looking at how the way things are going, I do, uh, you know, the way things are going, Microsoft seems to be at the forefront of API, uh, sorry, AI. And um, I don't, I don't, it, this is not just me being uh, biased, you know, if you just look at the news articles and other things, there is a perception that Microsoft is way ahead of other companies. And it, uh, you know, in a way it's true because, you know, other companies have been kind of left scrambling to figure out how to catch up in terms of uh, AI strategy, but uh, GLVR incorporating AI into, you know, as co-pilots into a lot of our products. And I'll just give GitHub co-pilot as an example. So, mm. um, so you know, all of this requires, you know, uh, infrastructure, all of this requires frameworks. So there's a lot of um, uh, machinations that go behind the scenes to make this happen. And the way I see this is I ultimately f uh, feel that, you know, uh, Azure will slowly start becoming the operating system in the cloud for AI. So that's that's kind of the direction that I see things going in. So basically, you know, you'll uh, want to say that, you know, I want to write a co-pilot for my tax company to help my customers figure out what their, how much tax they have to pay. And, you know, it, it will not, you know, it's not going to, um, you know, just blindly calculate it, but it's going to work with the customer. So that's the other thing, right? Copilot is something that works with you. It does not tell you what to do. It's co, hence co-pilot. It's not just, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, uh, having, building all of this, uh, I, I do believe that ultimately there'll be a you know operating system kind of uh, you simply plug into the cloud, which is your operating system, build your copilot, and move forward with you know worry about solving a business problem and not about whether I'm using you know Chat GPT or uh, Ada uh, embedding or whatever it is, right? So I just want to solve my problem. My problem is that I want to build that you know tax assistant, and these are the things I want to do. When you put this in, the operating system delivers for you. So that's how I see the future. Thank you very much for that. Um, Sandesh, it was a pleasure uh, talking with you. Uh, thank you for the insights into Microsoft and uh, Semantic Kernel. It was, uh, it was great to get that insights from you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Better Tech Leadership Powered by BrainHub. Follow Les Schick on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.